Hello and welcome to the Pixel Classroom Podcast, featuring everything on passion, innovation, X-Factor, enthusiasm, and leadership in the classroom. I'm your host, Ryan Reed, and you can listen to everything here from experts in education, talk about epilepsy awareness, and featuring pop culture talk. Welcome to the Pixel Classroom Podcast, episode 82. I hope everybody is doing very well here as November kicks off. So today's guest is actually pretty amazing, actually. I've been following his work for a while, both on social media and, of course, his own podcast. He's an ed tech and learning enthusiast who hosts the Educational Duct Tape Podcast and shares EDU GIFs. And then, of course, you can find him at Jake Midler. Net. He works as a science teacher for Orange City School District in Ohio and previously spent the last five years as a technology integration specialist, something I know very well about, and an additional 12 years in the classroom teaching math, science, and of course, STEM at various grade levels. And of course, his favorite job, however, is a full-time position as a husband and father. There you go. I know how it feels here. I would like the one and only uh, Jake Miller to the po- podcast today. How are you doing today, Jake? Ah, uh, Ryan, I'm so glad to be here. I'm doing great. I, I, although we were just saying we just finished the Browns game. I just finished watching the Browns game before we recorded. So I'm a little bit heartbroken right now. But otherwise, being on the show with you right now is pumping me back up. It's filling me back up. My bucket was empty, Ryan, and now this is filling it back up. Well, I, I'm definitely glad I bring it there because, like I said, as much as a bit not a big sports guy, but also I was looking up like, oh, I think we're going to talk about this. If anybody's wondering, we're recording this October 10th. So if anybody wants to Google search exactly how the game between the Browns Ooh. and the Chargers went <laughs> and why. Jake feels the way he does and why he was so happy to just jump on the podcast here. You can figure <laughs> it out too. So, you know, Jake, I, I gave you like the little breeze run right there and everything else. And I've had family members that used to live in Ohio, but uh, you know, give us our background. What really led to, uh, you know, edgy, you know, edgy, you know, d- you know, educational duct tape, which has been quite, quite, quite the uh, piece here. I've been following the last couple of years. Oh, thank you for that. Yeah. So I, as you read in the bio there, I've been in education for 18 or 19 years, started off as, as a classroom teacher. I taught math was my dream coming out of college. I wanted to teach math uh, and I taught math for my first seven years in the classroom. And then I actually eight years in the classroom. And then I started trying out other things. I, I, ta- I tried STEM, I tried science. And throughout the whole time, I, I found that I was really excited about working with teachers to use educational technology. For first, I was excited about how it improved my teaching, my instruction. And then when I started having my kids use it, I was excited excited about what my students could do for it or with it. And then I started supporting my educators in learning how to use it themselves, like my colleagues, just the the teacher down the hallway from me. And I got more and more excited about what it could do for them. And I found kind of my passion was supporting other educators in using educational technology. And so that led me on the path to doing the podcast and writing a book about what I call educational duct tape, which is you know, a mindset about how we choose the educational technologies that we use in our classrooms. Because as I started uh, supporting other educators, I realized how overwhelmed they felt, you know, by the choices, by the prospect of learning these new tools, by the changes that are happening in their classrooms as the technologies evolve. And I realized that they need a way to make decisions about what to use. And that kind of became 
the way that I supported them in, in that path to using an, an amount of educational technology tools that didn't overwhelm them, but yet improved their, their, their experiences they were bringing to students in their classrooms. Well, that's a great, and I, I felt myself the same way. One of my first education jobs was a technology integration, uh, I should say facilitator when we were working with our first uh, one-to-one iPad program. And then they, it was very, very early and new. We were, I think like one of maybe uh, 40 schools in, in, in the Midwest at that point had really gone one-to-one, especially for a private school. But one thing I always brought in, they were saying they were overwhelmed. I remember like two days for school started. I, I had uh, the vice principal, of the elementary school, just, you know, she was also the first grade teacher. Just tell me like, I feeling overwhelmed, Ryan, what do we mm-hmm. do? I just told her, I went, Sherry, you're the expert of this classroom. I am not. So please, oh, please work through that uh, and you find it and we'll just work on our ways together and get through there. Yeah, that's such an important point, you know, from a facilitator or coach or specialist role is that, you know, that they are the expert on their classroom, on their curriculum, on their kids, on their environment. You know, we might come in as the expert on the technology, but we've got to kind of meet in the middle and honor each other's expertise and, and make it a, you know, collaboration that benefits the kids. <laughs> uh, moving on, I, I think that's an exact great, great point and everything. Cause we have, I mean, especially in this day and age, we really do need to work with the teachers on that. I think being the cheerleader is something I know I have been for many of them, especially in this day and age. I know for my current school with Stillman, that's, that's been my role um, too, but you know, it, it, it's interesting the mindset that had to work with educational um, duct tape. I mean, how did you go from, you know, using that mindset to not only how you worked with other teachers, but developing your own ideas to move into the classroom before you became an uh, integration specialist there, Jake. I, I think it, I think it kind of stemmed from me wondering why am I not overwhelmed by the educational technologies, right? Cause I I've been overwhelmed by my role as a teacher. I've been overwhelmed by my curriculum, by the tasks that I have to do, but I've never found the educational technologies overwhelmed or overwhelming. And so I kind of thought about what, what is happening here in the way that I'm looking at this, that's different from the way other educators are looking at it. And one part of it is I've just, technology has always been something that I've gravitated towards and was exposed to by my parents. And so I've always been comfortable with technologies, but even colleagues of mine over the years who use technology, maybe they're gamers, or maybe they, you know, you know, do photography at weddings, or maybe they have every, you know, brand new phones and use all the apps and things like that. They're very comfortable with technology, but they might not be comfortable with using educational technology. And I realized what it was, was that overwhelming feeling. Um, and so I wanted to figure out, okay, what, what is it in my mindset that's different from their mindset? And what I realized was I wasn't worrying about using all of the technologies, even in my classroom now as a science teacher, I don't use I maybe use four or five different technologies typically. And it's because I'm only using the ones that are meeting a goal or addressing a need or solving a problem for me. So I'm always looking at well, what do I need to do? Maybe I need to formatively assess. Maybe I need to um, do a lesson hook. Maybe I need to communicate, edu- uh, I'm sorry, information to the students and their parents. Maybe I need to present information, whatever it is I need to do. Then I go, okay, what technology tool can help me with that? And th- that's where the educational duct tape thing came from is because duct tape is just a tool. We don't go, okay, today I'm going to start using duct tape. We go today, I'm going to whatever, fix this broken thing in my house. And duct tape happens to be a tool we often turn to. So we think first about what it is we're trying to do. What's our goal? What's our problem? And then we identify that tool that works for us. And oftentimes it's duct tape, but not always, right? And so educational technologies are the same. And that's what I'm trying to help educators see. Think about what it is you're trying to achieve first and then find those technologies that work with it. 
And that's, I think that's kind of, I think when I work with educators on that, I think that helps. I think that mindset of going like, listen, you could ignore all this other stuff. I think that helps them. Yeah. And that's, and that's a good point too. I mean, people come to my classroom, they always feel like, oh, he uses so much technology and he's a Mm -hmm. business and technology teacher and he's even got a doctorate in this. But I said, well, if you look at it, I have key to specific classrooms. Like um, we have a new one, uh, paper, which is a, which is great for writing an assessment and essay. But, you know, we, I kind of looked at this. I said, this has a perfect feed in my consumer ed when we're working for small claims court complaints and cover letters and resumes. After that, it's done. Um, right. We use one for intro to computers uh, for one of my people. And we and we just said like, it works great for working on the business memorandum to talk about correspondence. But then it's like, that's where it stops. But if you looked at it, what are the keys I use? I mean, I use Google Classroom with the apps. And then of course I use Pear Deck as a huge one. And then it's it flip-flops now between Edpuzzle and Nearpod. But then my my assessments are usually Gimkit or Kahoot mm-hmm. or in your case, what you wrote to his quiz is. But mm-hmm. if you look at it, those have been my staples for quite a few years. Um, right. You know, even before I was moving to more of a desktop and blended classroom. But I think that's what people think is you have to use everything or, oh, this is the technology the district paid for. I have I have to use it. And I said, well, yeah, there's some things like, yeah, I mean, if they spent the money and believe it is, you know, especially if it's district wide, like I said, paper is an example. And I know my superintendent's probably listening to this somewhere, but you know, he knows that everybody's going to use it in some small form, but it's also going to, he knows exactly where in the curriculums in the district, it's going to be more highly used. Like my English teachers, hugely used my social studies and psych teachers, hugely used foreign language, marley not math. There's no real actual thing for the math curriculum. So that's where it loses that piece too. But you know, it's like me and business tech. I'm like for the writing parts of the professionalism. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm going to use it. Same thing with my health. When they write up a health paper or talk about the factors of stress works great. But after that, it's not being used, but at the same time, I'm using it. It's part of the curriculum. The students are familiar with it and they know it's going to vary between class to class. And I think you've got a good point. I think it gets overwhelmed because we have all the tools to us and we, and, and and they feel like everybody's got to use them when you don't have to use all of them. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we talk about, I talk about in the book and in the podcast uh, regularly, uh, the paradox of choice, right? And that's what we're kind of saying here is there's so many options out there that we become overwhelmed by them. And there's this paralysis, right? We, we feel this, we don't, maybe we don't notice it, but with so many things to choose from, we feel paralyzed rather than liberated. And that's actually, you know, psychologically proven that when that's the case, when you have too many options, rather than choosing one and feeling really good about it, you end up feeling paralyzed. And then oftentimes, if you're able to make that choice, you actually feel like you're you're constantly going like, did I choose the right one, right? Because you had so many different things to choose from. And so we narrow it down by thinking about what we're doing. So like you're, you were talking about there and your different, different classes that you teach, there are different things you're trying to achieve. So different technologies fit there and other technologies don't fit there. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. I mean, it's, I think about what we'll be doing. And I was talking to you about this uh, just before we started recording about my upcoming computer programming class next semester, where I said, Blue Geek is going to fit into that. But at the yeah. same time is it's like, we're using code HS because all the, you know, all pieces there, you have the badging system, you have the certification system, and it's much easier to do. It works great for assessment work, but yet I can still go to Google forms and do a, as they call mini quizzes, even we call them debriefing. Cause really it's like, you have four chances to try to get 80%. And this is just more, do you understand the terminology? And do you remember if this situation happened to you, if you were trying to debug something in Python, why is this issue happening? Oh, it's choice C because it's missing that space. Boom. There's why how I debugged the program. I'm like, mm-hmm. but it's just a reinforcement, but at the same time is it, it, it's reinforcing that learning and understanding that assessments. 
Right. Right. And you, and you focus on what you're trying to do and identify what's best for it. Yeah. And yet no, no reason to go away from that tool you're using. Like, like blue kit, we were talking about is a relatively new tool for you, mm-hmm. but you're, you don't need to go away from your other tool to the new tool, unless it's giving you something that you didn't have before that is as a priority for you. And exactly. It. And here, like I told you, my Spanish teacher had been using it for the last couple of years. And I was like, well, yeah. what? And, you know, yeah. as you know, I got her on the gym kit train, but you right. know, at the same time, my math teachers started using quizzes a uh, year before the pandemic started. And the truth is I was using quizzes, as they say, before they even knew what that was, you know, right. and, and I jumped on that because I really liked the assessment. Now they use it. So when I use it, they say, oh yeah, Mr. Swenson uses this all the time when he double checks, <laughs> if we understand our terminologies for trig or geometry, I said, I've been using it for years, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> cool. You know, moving moving away from the educational duct tape and the piece of the mindset. So, you know, the podcast, which I started subscribing like right away. So what actually led to the podcast? I mean, my mother always jokes about how everybody has a podcast, but everybody has their own little niche in doing that. So, you know, what what did you aim for the goal for the podcast? And, and I got to say, you've had some interesting ones, especially the most recent episode you had with Tony Vincent, where he was interviewing you about your book. And yeah. said, Let me talk about my book and boast it versus now here's a guy on the other side who's going to actually interview me on my own podcast. What went into yeah. the book? Yeah, that was a fun one. Yeah. So the show has been going on now. This is the fourth season. It's been about three and a half years since I started it. Part of the reason I started it was I, I love podcasts. I've been listening to podcasts since 07 or 08 or something like that. I started listening to my first podcast. I remember. Um, so that was part of it. The other part was I, I was very active on Twitter at that time, sharing, you know, the edu gifts that you mentioned earlier that might teach somebody in, in, in a 30 second little gift format, maybe how to use Google form or how to do something in Google classroom and, and then curating tips on different tech tools from other people and sharing them out there. But what I was finding was a gap between what I wanted to provide the teachers and what I was providing the teachers. And this is kind of that, that like self-assessment and reflection. I realized that I was providing lots of little tips and tricks about how to use the technology, but I wasn't communicating with them. Maybe that they didn't have to use all of it. Maybe that, you know, why would you use this tool? Why would you not use this tool? Which of these two tools is better for it? Uh, because in my tweets, I was just saying, well, this is great. Right. It was just like a one off, like here's one thing. Right. And here's another thing in this tweet. And I I felt like I was missing that part where I was having kind of the real conversations with them about what worked best. You know, that mindset that we were talking about earlier. And that podcast is a great way to just be able to just be able to talk. Right. Oh, yeah, Um, exactly. Yeah. And be able to, to share more insights into what they can do and could do and, and should do and how to help them in that process. And also shine a spotlight on different educators who could also offer that kind of advice too. Um, but the other part of the podcast was I just, I had some personal goals, you know, that, that went into it too. So I, I wanted to number one, you know, provide that, have that space to provide kind of that mindset stuff for teachers. But I also, as, as a person, personally, I wanted to get better as a speaker. I wanted to get better at, you know, kind of answering questions on the fly and things like that, because I I knew that was something I struggled with. And I also knew that book was coming for me. It was something I was working towards and I needed a way to kind of hone that message. And the podcast was a really good way to do that. I could start kind of working with the ideas and the concepts in the podcast and then see what worked and what didn't, what felt right and what didn't, and then, you know, build up to the book. Um, but the podcast has been a lot of fun. I know, I know you know how much work it is, Oh yeah, um, but it's a lot of fun as well. <laughs> Especially when it comes to the family. I think some people don't understand exactly what we do. I mean, people always, you know, hear, 
hear me talk about the Spider-Man Crawl Space, which was one of the big first big podcasts I ever got on. I've been a guest star and I do reviewers for the website. But, you know, it's like I think of all the work and Brad's been on here himself talking about him, but it's a lot of work. But at the same time, as you know, he's got a family situation where, you know, that that's just part of his life and his daughters mm-hmm. know that and his wife knows that and they, they love that he does that. You know, and me, it's like I do it, but I also know some people it's like I record on this day because this is the day this person's doing this event, this person right. doing that event. And, you know, my my better half is saying, oh, good, go do your stuff for an hour, hour and a half and <laughs> peace and quiet or something. Yep. But, you know, it's it's very interesting um, how, you know, how it goes. But at the same time, the messages, I mean, I did a comic book one, the Green Lantern Spotlight podcast, which is, oh, boy, it's been been it's been 13 years now but one thing when i got into podcasting again i was really looking for it and i kept feeling like ever i mean i listened to yours too just before i got on the air too and i kind of went oh you know jake's doing this and then tisha richmond's doing this and right. i was like where where do i fill my space in and i kind of you know it it evolved over time because yeah. i've now moved my messages to a lot more not just be educational or as we had one person respond on twitter and instagram like hey pd on the treadmill I just love listening to Ryan and George or George or Ryan in general and so forth. But I think it's interesting that we talk about the different messages, but at the same time, it's, you know, we, we all have to find our way. And like, we start with an idea and sometimes we really don't know where it goes. I mean, here, like you said, three and a half years, I'm going on, I'm, I'm going on two officially as of next month, even though I'm on my third season here, but it's kind of like, I feel like it's found its message, but at the yeah. same time is I think sometimes we also wonder like, where do we go with this next? I mean, cause some people keep going and the regular listeners say, Oh yeah, this is great. He's, he's keeping the message, but you know, sometimes we kind of want to go somewhere else or try to, as they say, make us, you know, a little different than everybody else's. I mean, uh, I mean, yours has been very amazing. I really like it. Sometimes I listen to like, Oh, that's a really cool guest. I never knew that. Or, Oh, wow. I should try that in the classroom or this is original actually having the guest flip flop it. And the host is being interviewed by the guest. I said that that's kind of different. I kind of like that. Yeah. It's fun. It's funny when you do any, any creative project over time, whether it's a, a lesson plan or a, a comic book, like you said, or a podcast, you kind of, you have to start before you really have a full grasp on what you want to look like or feel like, right. And you get into it and it evolves as you go. Sometimes it evolves early on and then you kind of find your groove and you stick with that. And other times things, you know, change as you go, but you can't, you they, they say you, you can't, um, you know, you have to just ship it is what Seth Godin says. One of my favorite hmm, um, podcasters and bloggers, Seth Godin says, just ship. Uh, and he's just put it out there. You know, you, you, you're, you're going to find out what you, what it really works like and how it really works and what you like about it and things like that after you get it out there. So I think that's true with something like a podcast too. And I think it's also true of my classroom lesson plan. I could have this lesson that I think is going to be a dud or I think it's going to be amazing, but I don't really know until I try it with students. And then you find, you know, what needs to change or what needs to be amplified in the lesson and things like that. And then that's a good point. I remember when I when I got back on social media, Twitter, especially because I'd had an account with the um, the the Spotlight podcast years ago, but I never really used it. And I got it for PD to listen to other educators that were sharing things. And I kind of realized, OK, I'll share. But then I said, you know, I think some people really would like it if I actually showed them what I'm doing with it and mm-hmm. then maybe filing it too, or say, hey, this person, you gave me the idea. And I kind of ran with it a different way, which is kind of what I had. Because originally I did it with blogging. I love doing the blogging. And, you know, I kind of gotten away from my writing as I have been because, you know, I did the podcast and I've done other things. So it's, it's kind of moved into a different direction than 
you know, the, you know, the um, first year educational me would probably never have done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I explored it, but I think now it's like, I was always the guy to take chances, but I think sometimes I would take a chance and I would just not know where it was going to go. And then I kind of felt like, you know, maybe I need to stop here because it's, I don't know if it's going to go in a direction I'm going to appreciate, or it could go very South where people don't appreciate it either. And it's kind of like, yeah, now I kind of feel bad because I didn't do it the way I I thought it was going to go sometimes, but as you said, sometimes you just got to go and see where it takes you like the lesson plans and everything. And right, speaking of which going, moving a perfect segue into your bot, your, your book here, which I'm holding right here. Nobody can see this, this is all audio. And I can see it and it feels good. I see it. And I, and, um, I appreciate that, Ryan. You're, you're welcome. And people always ask like, what are your color tabs? And I think green means I could do this today. Pink okay. Fits into it somewhere. I just haven't figured out where, or maybe I have a general idea. Sometimes, like I'll do red, and people say, "Oh, what's that mean?" Like, stop here, read over this. You might not have an idea yet, but this is very important. Or maybe it's a resource. Like, okay, right here. Like, you know, I got this one right here, which is, and I'm just going to pick one at random here. Oh yeah, right here, page sixty here, right here about using uh, too fast, too furious. You may notice I left Gimkit and book and a blue kit out of the list above. You know, we were just talking about blue kit uh, this a minute, but as they say about your tools. But you were talking about the old fashioned from the old fashioned flashcards to actually use it in a much more higher end, like a quiz show using yeah. snowman, like um, like a hangman and so forth, which goes to flippity. And I've, I've used flippity for years and now I've kind of say I'll use it, but I think it works good for a thing. I think I'll work on wheel decide if I just want a random choice because the tools get there. But one thing I do like about the book is, you know, it's a lot of these like when I was going through this book, I was marketing things, but a lot of say I use these tools, but I went. Oh, I never thought about that. Or, well, I'd love to use that, but I can't because we, mm. we would never be like, like we video here. I'd love to have we video, but I'm getting it to pay for and getting the districts is a different thing. That's why I use headliner. I mean, headliner wasn't in here, but you know, screenomatic, I used that for forever before I went into screencastify. So, and, and, you know, it's really good, but you know, what went into the book here and, you know, and some of the tools you use, you know, you repeat here, but you know, how, you know, how, how did that finish your lessons and then getting that message out there to people who, you know, like me who read tons of educational books, that's Joe's chorus. He's, he says, I'm the only person he knows who reads so many of these books. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that part that, so every, every chapter in the book, as you know, already Ryan, but for the listeners out there, every chapter has a question at the end of the book that says, you know, how can I, and then the, you're, you're mentioning one that had screencasting stuff in there. So how can I, how can my students and I start screencasting in the classroom? And then I give them a list of tools. And my goal was, I feel like I, over the years have, developed all of this knowledge about all these different tech tools. And like, I've had people ask me at conferences and at PDs, um, what tool should I use for screencasting or for audio, or I'm going to start a podcast with my students. What should I use? And I often, and I often am able to rattle off like, well, you could use this, but this, and you can use that, but that, and if you're using this and you're doing that, like, like I just have these, I've, I've learned about all these different tools and I could give them you know, recommendations to help them make the decisions. And I, I feel bad that the educators, they don't have time to research that kind of stuff. You know, if they decide they want to start doing formative assessment or screencasting or podcasting, when, when are they going to find the time to research that, let alone learn how to use the tools? So I tried in the book to develop kind of those lists of, and you were mentioning the too fast, too furious one. That was a, a section talking about um, self-assessment and what, what tools are good for self-assessment. And so I said, well, you'd use this for self-assessment or this. And then that section, I was saying, well, blue kit and gim kit might not be the best self-assessment tools. Cause you kind of go through it really fast and the kids might not be really paying attention to what they do and don't get right. But so I was going through and giving them 
kind of this wisdom that I've, I've, you know, developed over the years about these different tools to help them make those decisions. And the nice thing for me in my classroom is now when I want to do self-assessment or formative assessment or a video-based lesson in class, like I could just go like, okay, these are the five tools I could pick from. This one's not good for me because X, and this one's not good for me because Y, and this one's ideal for me because of this. And this is the one I'm going to use. Right. So I tried to provide that area in the book that helped educators make those choices for themselves, like give them the, the basics on the different tools so that they can go, okay, this is the one for me. And then they could spend the time learning how to use it. I, I, and I think that's a great point too, because I, my, my coworkers ask me all the time, like, right. Hey Ryan, I'm thinking this, what's a good way to do it. I said, well, you could do X, Y, and Z. I'm working with a full-time sub since one of our teachers is on a long-term um, absence right now. But she said, I would like to start doing this. What do you think is a good tool? And I said, well, here's, here's something that would work with me and the kids know it. So you can go ahead and, and try that. But I, I think it's a good point. Cause like I said, when I was going through these, like immediately I stopped and said, Oh yeah, I've done it for that. Okay. I'm doing like Jake does. So which means I'm doing something pretty good in the classroom. It's worked for him. It's working for me and other teachers can, but then I went, Oh, I never thought about doing that with this tool. And I've been using that for quite a while. That's not a bad idea. I should, right. I should give that a, get that a try. I mean, something that me and my uh, coworker adapted from Casey Bell was her talking about daily checklists, but we talked about having more interaction. So first we started with Google Docs because let's, let's try that. She was at Microsoft, so she did that. But then we realized Google Slides was much more versatile for the hyperlinks, for the areas, put in the daily goals. And then if you want, and then we usually comment on them. I found, we found out, oh, put it in the notes section later on. I said, you know, I got the comment section on Google Classroom. You know, why don't I just start really using that utilization. It's a tool mm -hmm. in front of me at Google Classroom. And I don't think a lot of people use it the way they are. And it gets mm -hmm. mentioned many times, but I think that's what I really like. Cause like you said, uh, duct tape is a tool we use on a thing. And it's like, I read, you know, I'm going through your book, I'm marking it. I, I still review it. There's some things here. I'm, I'm going to probably be doing it for months to come. It might go on the shelf, but all of a sudden, wait, Jake talked to you know what? Let me go back to this. Like, what was it? Oh, yeah, right here. My green tab. Oh, yeah. That whole little thing about uh, doing that with the spread to, with the conditional format. I, mean, I should update this just a little bit more for that. But it, 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 it's, it's great. And I'm, I'm throwing this out. People always wonder here, like, why don't you just leave more comments on, you know, reviews on Amazon? I said, I wish I can, but I, I can't. Long story there. People have heard my story 100 times over. But, you know, it's like when I talk about a book and, I, and I'm sharing it either on social media or on a podcast, I actually believe on what I've read and I've, and I've been hit by that several times, but you know, reading your book, Jake really just, it, it, it definitely kicks me into inspire. It makes me kind of review over something that, you know, I never thought about using it in that form. Why don't I try that? I'll do it slowly. Just so the kids aren't like, what, what is this doctor? Reed? I, you, we've done this for years. Why are you doing it? Cause like uh, we're talking about GimKit at the time of this recording, they put in the jeopardy version, which is called what is. And I found out a lot of students really like that, but then some kind of said, well, you should keep the category shorter because when you do it five, some of the questions repeat themselves. Cause you didn't hmm. use a lot of questions. I went, that's a very good point. So I right there learned, right? And if anybody's using GimKit right now, listening to this episode, because it'll still be around by the time this episode airs here too. If you have shorter GimKit questions or whatever they're built on, whether you did them from scratch or used Quizlet for them, mm -hmm. smaller categories are where you want to go. Because if you start saying, oh, I want to do five categories because I have 20 minutes to waste and I want the kids to brain dump everything. I'm like, yeah, but then if you're repeating the questions, the kids are going to start becoming disengaged from things. And I also <laughs> like that too. You talked about this might not work in this way. Try this or the kids right. might have a problem. That's what I like about your book. You actually say, here's the good and the bad, but it's right. your class. You make the decision. 
Yeah. And that's, that's wisdom that you and I have developed because this is what we do, right? This is our passion, learning about these tech tools and trying new things in our classrooms. But a lot of our peers and our colleagues want to do their best for the students, but they don't want to break their back learning about all the edu educational technologies, right? So that's what I tried to do is say, you know, kind of this, like you said, this will be good for you if you, if you want this and, but it doesn't do this, right? So you pick, it might be what you want. It might not be what you want. And, you know, you don't have to do the same thing as the teacher next to you, but I just really wanted to help them narrow that down so that they don't have to do all that research. They could just look and say, okay, this is the one that I want for this reason. You know, it reminds me of like, like when you're uh, shopping on, on an app, like, like Zappos, I use Zappos oh, for my shoes. Good. Like, right. Yeah. You go into Zappos and you yeah, click crazy. filter and you're like, I want this size. I like these four brands. I don't need football cleats. Well, why would I want football cleats right now? Um, I take that off, you know, and I want this and I want them in this price range and I want this, right. You think about the things you narrow down your choices based off of your interests. And then it kind of tells you here's 20 different shoes that meet your requirements. Right. And there, that doesn't exist for educational technology. There's not right. a Zappos for educational technology. So that's what I was trying to do was to kind of be that Zappos to let, let them as they read it, think about their own filters as they go through it. I, I kind of like that. I mean, that should be your next book, Teacher Filtering or Teacher Zappos. And that might just work really. That's actually a good way you put that. Too. I agree. Because I mean, it's like if I went on my Amazon right now, I might be looking right. like, oh, I'm going to look over some supplies for my teacher list there. And I want some STEM supplies. I want a Sphero here. I want here. But maybe I said, oh, I've never seen this device. Click on it. Say, oh, I never went. Next thing you know, I got three emails telling me, well, here's the things based on it. That's like, no, I looked at that because of interest. Don't send me nine other things. I mean, I didn't filter it that way. And so forth. But I think it's also good because you, and this is a good way to segue into both our segments because you talk about one of our notes here is a student paced curriculum, especially as a STEM teacher. You know, something I did early on was try to get into that blended classroom. Mm -hmm. And it kind of evolved with my coworker, Kathy Murphy, and a couple other things, but I was doing it. But now I've kind of felt like the student pace was always what I was going to. But I think what's interesting is, you know, how do you develop that student pace? Like what, you know, people always say, like, I'd like to, but then I have a kid that's, three weeks behind when, and then I have a kid that's three days ahead. It's like, how do I find that, you know, balance with mm. student pay, especially in a curriculum? Yeah. So I, that was something I did uh, years ago when I taught a STEM class and it happened when I realized I was having a lot of behavior problems in one, one particular period. And I thought it was just a bad group, group of kids. And I actually tell the story in a little more detail in the book. And I, I remember there was a Facebook post that I made during that class. It was something like sometimes during my second period class, uh, I literally consider curling up in the corner and rocking myself or something like that. And that there's a screenshot of that in the book, right? We've all been there. We've all had, had that class, right? And I reflected and realized that, yes, it was a difficult group of kids, but what was more problematic was the fact that I was teaching all of these kids in the same exact way. And when I reflected on it, I realized the kids that were misbehaving were either um, fast processors, fast workers, high achievers who were bored in my class or slower processors, more deliberate students or students who were struggling, who were frustrated in my class and were kind of acting out rather than being confused. My Goldilocks kids were just fine. You know, they were the kid, the kids who the porridge was just right for, who the, the pace was just right for were just fine. And so I realized that I needed to build some student pacing in my class. So I, so I did end up building that in and there's um, like, like we said earlier, there's a whole set of different tools you could entertain for that, for that uh, use in the book. But I think the important part is that you pick a pace that's going to work for the majority of the kids. 
and then let some of the kids go beyond that pace. Right. And then I often did end up differentiating for a handful of kids. Right. Uh, like, like right now I teach a CAD class for my, my current school and we're using Tinkercad and SketchUp in the class. And that's the thing that we're, we're all just naturally going to work on our own rate using a technology tool like that. We can't, I, I can't be at the front of the classroom going like, click here. Wait, Johnny, did you click there? Wait, hold on. Click. No, right, right there. No, hold on shift while you're clicking. No, wait, no. Oh yeah. You've switched your Chromebook keys. You've got control and alt switched. Hold on alt. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Now you got it. And then everybody else just sitting there waiting. Right. So I really got to student pace that course. So I student pace it at what I think the, you know, like the, like the relatively average student's going to be able to do what's a realistic, non-stressful goal for the kids. And for some of the kids, I need to go like, okay, you can have an extra day on this. It's not a big deal. Right. And other kids are like a month ahead of my pace, but then they feel really proud of themselves. Right. Uh, most of the kids, you know, feel good about themselves and they're developing this, um, this, you know, executive functioning and responsibility, and they're taking ownership of their own work. And they're deciding when they need to do homework, like, oh, I'm ahead of the pace. I don't need to do homework or, oh, I'm behind the pace. I do need to do homework. Right. And I, I feel like that not only did it solve that problem I had where I had kids misbehaving, it really has kind of changed my view of what I feel like is, you know, a classroom should run like and gave the kids more power and more responsibility too, which is huge. And I think that's a great point because people have always asked me, especially my principal, it's like, like, how do you set the pace? And I said, I have to think, where am I? I am, you know, the expert, but for some of these, they've never done, it. or maybe they've played with it, but not done a lot of things. So I said, I just say, I have to go the pace behind that way. The people who are more ahead can venture yeah. it. But at the same time, those who are much more slower can work it on. And, you know, I figured that earlier, but the biggest reason I really hit my blended class was it was, it was a slow pace and ever, and all my classes are different. I mean, if people see my main technology classes, that is so student pace. Like they, they I mean, basically the class runs, I give right. them a rundown after attendance and I, I let them go. And then I just, yeah grade or I, I walk around when they really got a question versus like more of my business classes, like, well, we're going to interact with Pear Deck or whatever. We're going to talk a little bit and now I'm going to let you go. And, and, you know, that's something they kind of like, cause it differentiates, but at the <laughs> same time, it's just how the class is built. And I would love to have that full for every class, but I've realized with the, the subjects and the areas, Sometimes that full self-pace is great. And sometimes it's like, I got to get you in the boat. And now after the boat's done, I'm pulling away in the raft and you are now rowing on your own, but don't worry. I can, I'm still tethered. So if you need me, I'll just pull myself in and uh, give you a hand. But it's like, don't expect me to do your work. Yeah. I like that metaphor there. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I got, I was watching Charlie Brown the other day and I just said, Hey, that's, that, that reminds me of what I'm doing right here. Thank you. Apple TV plus there's my seamless shout out right there for it. Today. There we go. Apple's not gonna put us in this crime. No. So, um, Jake, and uh, this is new. You're now, no, you don't know about this, and nobody and people listening to that. I'm throwing, I know Pixel Classroom is, you know, Pixel is stands for passion, innovation, X factor, enthusiasm, leadership. So, I'm doing what's similar to the three question George chorus or the on the spot thing here, but I'm gonna like throw it right now here. And believe it or not, your your office is like the perfect thing because, first of all, I'm very jealous of some of your Funko Pops that are in this picture here, especially the heat man <laughs> sitting over the Michael Jordan here. But, um, we know. We we know what you're passionate about, but you know, innovation is always something I like to throw out an X factor. So right now, if I took your Funko pops, how could you innovate that into a lesson right now? Oh, I don't know. My Funko pops are going to be a lesson. Well, it would have to be in my science class. Right. And so right now we're talking about 
uh, we're talking about erosion and weathering in my class right now in deposition. So uh, maybe my Funko Pops are building houses along a uh, along a river, and we're going to pick the best places for them to build houses based on the bends and curves and meanders of the river and see what po- what spots are going to erode away. And they're going to decide on where the best place to build Castle Grayskull will be. <laughs> right, right now, some of my AP students uh, for my biology class are like, oh, I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast that's really great so you know you know we know what you're enthusiastic but you know my biggest one is is like what is the what is the leadership you're always trying to you know bring to your students in the classroom both for yourself and for them so i i listened to as i mentioned earlier seth godin i've learned a lot from him and he has um there's a book that kind of started kind of my my work in podcasting and, and this stuff where i was kind of waiting for my turn to be uh, to give be given these opportunities to have a podcast, to write a book, to do to speak at a conference, these th- kinds of things. And the first book of his that was given to me was called "What to Do When It's Your Turn." And it's always your turn. So that's kind of been a mindset for me is like, it's, it's always your turn to, to do whatever it is you want to do. Like, just take your turn, step up, take your turn. And one of the passages he talks in there, and I, I forget the word that he uses, but is about how the best leaders, and there was a, a certain uh, tribe or country or something he references from, and I can't remember where, uh, that they had a word that they used instead of charge. Because charge, you think about charge as a, as a leader of an army or whatever, mm-hmm. means go, go there and do that, right? You go. Uh, but this other group that he talks about in the book has this word that they say, and it was like a charrier or something. I can't remember how it went, but it means like, follow me, right? And, and, and he says, instead of saying, you go do this, it says, we're going here and I'm going first, right? So I think from a leadership perspective, that's the best way to learn. And it can kind of go dovetails in with that idea of it's always your turn, right? And it's always your turn to lead if you choose to take it. And I think that's a perfect spot there. And then this is an old question from way back in season one here. What do you feel your X factor is, Jake? The one thing that you bring every single day to to the classroom and to your students. What is that one factor that you always bring in every day? Well, I've tried. I didn't do it so well when I was a younger and newer teacher. But the one thing that I try to bring now every day is, uh, you know, rapport and, and kindness. I don't know what the right word for it is, but just understanding that I teach 13 and 14 year olds and they learn, number one, they're going through weird times in their lives. Right. And they learn best from people that they like and feel like like them. Right. And so if I can do my best to be kind to them, to have a smile on my face, even if it's hidden beneath the mask, you know, to joke around with them, to maybe spend the first five minutes of class asking them what they did over the weekend or doing a fun activity that they, uh, in Pear Deck where they draw a picture or something like that. If we build that community, if we build that rapport, you know, that we're going to be able to go a lot further together in the class. And I feel like then, you know, when I say, okay, today we're going to, you know, work really hard on this activity or this unit or this new learning standard or whatever we're doing, they're like, Okay. Right. And it it kind of goes along with that. It's not charge. It's follow me. Right. And if they feel like we're together as a team, right. And we're connected and we have that rapport and we share that common understanding, then you're more likely to go with that leader, whether it be a classroom teacher that's leading their students or, you know, somebody in like an administrative or leadership position leading their, their peers as the, you know, the other teachers. Wow. And I, I think that's a perfect explanation of an X factor to bring every day. And that's still, like I said, it moves into the passion, the enthusiasm, the leadership, mm-hmm. as well as the innovation. Like you said, you know, follow me. I'm going to go in first. Right. 
we'll see where this takes us. I think that's right. a great one. I mean, like right there when I threw out the Funko Pops for your lesson, but I think some of them be like, oh, you know, I have Funko Pops. Like, oh yeah, I just saw the He-Man, you know, new series on Netflix. So, you know, tell me more about what it was 40 years ago. Like, oh yeah, well, let me date myself here. <laughs> <laughs> my son has been watching the show, so. <laughs> well, my son watched it too with him and he was actually saying, like, you used to watch this when you were my age, Tyler? Like, no, Tyler, you <laughs> much younger <laughs> you forget how old daddy was when the series was originally out. right right <laughs> Jake, this has been an amazing little episode here and i i hope it made your day better after what happened with the browns here oh you better bring it back up ryan Thanks i know i know I, that, that's me. Bring, bring, you know bring in great thing and then bring up the what what, what made him like feel that but you know how how can our listeners actually connect with the with you here besides you know checking my show notes here <laughs> yeah so i am on uh so all all of the social medias at jake miller tech and my website's at jakemiller.net or you can go to eduducttape.com they kind of all point to the same place uh and check out the podcast or the book or reach out to me on social media or anything like that i, I love to connect with and support other educators it's one of my favorite things to do it sounds so geeky to say but it's true <laughs> and i think it's a it's a great thing to say too and of course he's got that amazing podcast too like you said he's been on here for season four so yeah. as they say i gotta catch up but <laughs> <laughs> but you know, and like I said, it, it's great listening to and everything else. So Jake, you know, thank you so much for what you've put out in here and everything else from the book to your social media, to the shares and everything. I know it's inspired people like me and many others. And, you know, like I said, and the fact that you are a middle school teacher. So like, you, you know, that as I, I, as they say, it takes a special kind of person to be a kindergarten <laughs> teacher. It takes an even more special kind of teacher to teach in middle school. And as a guy who's been through all of them. Sometimes <laughs> I said, if I had a choice, I'd stay right over here. Right. I'm going to stay right here. <laughs> I'm staying right there. This is what I love to work on. Not that I don't love working with those, those age groups either, but it's like, this is my niche or I'm fine if I transport over here a little bit, but, you know, <laughs> you know, amazing, amazing things you're doing in and out of the classroom, Jake, stuff you're sharing online and everything else. And like I said, the book right here, educational duct tape right there. <laughs> Well, Ryan, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for the work that you do. Not only the support of the book, but the support that you give to other educators out there. It's just so great the stuff you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jake, for those words. They did. They do mean a little bit time. Cause um, I mean, I, I, I try to do my best not to, to be modest as well as like, no, don't make it just about me. I know it's my podcast. Don't make it about me, but yeah, th th they'll thank you for that. So those do, do mean to me. Cause um, I mean, people do sometimes wonder, you know, am I, am I making a point, but you know, that's one thing I want you to know, Jake, you, you, you've definitely inspired me and definitely people. And I'm pretty sure your students are definitely inspired to do it as you Sally. follow me. I'm going in first and let's uh, see where we go from this so and like and like i said i'm still kind of jealous of those funko pops in the back that you have and i don't have you know, I mean, the michael jordan one i had once upon a time i don't know what happened it, it, when i moved out of my parents and that you know i was a teenager in the 90s it's been a long time anyhow Jake, thank you so much for being on the pixel classroom podcast today thank you ryan thank you you are welcome. And to our listener, thank you for joining us for another episode here. And remember, if you like what you hear, please think of leaving us a review or leave us a voicemail. Plus me, we'd love to do it. Also, let me know how it is with me bringing back the pixel questions here, uh, especially Jake being a wonderful person to be the, as they say, guinea pig for the first person to get the uh, pixel questions here for the first time in a long time. So, <laughs> so you, didn't, you didn't even know either. <laughs> ah, it was fun. It was fun. All right. Thank you, everybody. And we'll talk to you later.
Thank you once again for listening to the Pixel Classroom Podcast. Remember, if you like what you hear, please think about leaving us a review or subscribing or leaving us a voicemail, and we'd love to hear from you. And also remember, the Pixel Classroom Podcast is always looking for sponsors, so if you're thinking of sponsoring the podcast, please let us know, and we will get you set up. On that note, my friends, I will talk to everybody later again on the Pixel Classroom Podcast.